Si Ota Ofa, everyone, and this is Richard. Welcome to the Q&A for episode three. I had the opportunity to meet some of you over the weekend at the Manhattan concert. So that was cool. And I'm just so thankful for all of your compliments and some of the feedback that you've given me. I'm so appreciative of the, just the support from just all across the spectrum. And so uh, I can't tell you enough how thankful I am for all of you. Once again, if you have questions for the podcast, uh, please send it to my email rwolfgram at gmail.com that is r-w-o-l-f-g-r-a-m-m at gmail.com or uh, we're going to do something different don't leave me a voicemail on the anchor app because there's a time limit on it instead call this uh it's my google voice number i created it just for this um the number is 385-347-0906 Once again, 385-347-0906 and just leave me a voicemail and I would love to answer your question in future episodes. Our first question comes from Aileene and also this is a question that I have and this is about the usage of siota ofa and also the practice of hongi which are both uh, no longer practiced in Tongan culture. If you remember in the previous episode, um, we learned about Ahoetu, the first Tuitonga. He wanted to search for his father and his mother told him to climb up the Toa tree into the heavens and he will find his father. And when his father first sees him, he greets him with a uh, hongi and also he says si ofa. Also remember that when they first brought Mariner to the court, or to the residents of uh, Fina Ulukalala II, the women in the court, um, you know, they looked at him and they pitied him, and the greeting they also had for him was Si Ota Ofa. So we turn to uh, one of my favorite people and also a cousin of mine, Devita Kaili. Dr. Kaili is a dean and also a professor of cultural anthropology and in uh, Brigham Young University, Hawaii, and um, he'll introduce himself in this call. So enjoy. All right. Uh, on the phone with me, I have uh, Professor Tevita Osonikaili, and he is currently um, the Dean of Faculty of Culture, Language, and Performing Arts and a Professor of Cultural Anthropology at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. And I uh, just want to give some time for you, Tevita, to introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, thank you, Sioto Ofa. Uh, thank you, Rishate, for this opportunity. And I'm a big fan of your... Uh, uh, podcast. Uh, just to introduce myself, uh, I am, uh, my family are from different parts of Tonga. My father is from, uh, Kolonga in Tongatapu, but also Maofanga, and that's his paternal side. And the mother's side is, uh, from Pangai, Hapai, uh, Fakakakai, and also Haano. And then on my mother's side is my, uh, um, her father is uh, from Koloa. Uh, Koloa, that's the uh, same place where Richard uh, Lisate is from. But yeah. also, <laughs> yes, Koloa people, yeah. But also the from uh, Tuanuku and Neyafu uh, in, in that side. So those are all the places that I'm, I'm from in Tonga. Oh, thank you. Your grandmother is a true Vava'uan. Yes. Everyone from Koloa, they're from they're the true people, and 
and you know there's a lot of stories about Koloa in, in, in many of our ancient stories. Uh, why I have Devita here is because we have a lot of you who have sent questions to the podcast. Several of you have sent questions about the greeting si Oto Ofa, and we talked about this in the second episode. Um, if you all remember when um, William Mariner was brought to the residence of Finau Urukalawa, that's how he was greeted by um, by his wives and, and attendants, is that they went up to this young mariner after he was cleaned up and uh, made presentable for Finau Urukalawa, and the greeting they gave him was Si uh, Oto Ofa, and really just a lot of... Uh, uh, they, it almost sounded like they pitied him. And so, um, I heard this term first. Um, if you remember, Devita, when we went to the Tongan History Conference in, um, New Zealand in 2013. Do you remember, were you, you were at that conference? No? Yes or no? No, I, I was, I was there at the same time, but I was at a different conference. That, oh, okay. That you and, and Anapesi went in, in that com- particular conference. Yeah, and that's where I first heard the term. And then I just noticed that there's been a big push for it uh, with uh, Tongan Language Week uh, in New Zealand. And so if you can just give us, um, share with us just some of your knowledge of Siotoofa from what we understand was the old um, greeting and, you know, now it's Maloi Lelei. But uh, if you can just share with us what you know about uh, this, the old greeting, why don't we use it anymore? And... Um, We'll start from there. Okay, thank you. So, Sioto Ofa, that's our ancient Tongan greetings, and it's a more warmer, affectionate way of, of, of greeting somebody. Literally, basically say, you know, my love to you, or, you know, um, my love towards you. That's more of a, of a way. And we use Ofa in, you know, and many other parts of, of Polynesia use that particular term. In, you know, in aloha or aroha or, or, um, alofa, which is their version of, of ofa. And actually our Tongan equivalent of all of that is aloofa. Uh, but that's used mainly just for the chiefly class or, or the, the royal, royal family. But going back to Sioto Ofa. So Sioto Ofa, uh, to my knowledge, the first time it was used, it was used in one of our, um, oral tradition and uh the oral tradition is basically the the story about Maui Atalanga um this is the time according to the to oral tradition that people that the sky was so close to the land and people were crawling and uh one day uh, Maui Atalanga came from Lalofonua which is the underworld and noticed that people were were just still crawling because the sky was too close and he saw this woman uh carrying a hohoni which is a coconut flask uh with water and he greeted the woman and this is what he said he said si oto ofa fifine uh uh this is from the Matthew Moala version of 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 this story um so this is where i first saw somebody using the the words oto ofa in, in our story so According to the story, this happened in Koroa because the Maui Atalanga and, and of course his son Maui Kisikisi, they, they lived in Koloa and then went, uh, to the underworld Alofanua and, and they, um, they did their, their plantation and farming there. So that's where the, 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 where I first 
notice in our in our tradition where she ought to offer uh, uh, done by Maui Atalanga in Koloa. So there you go, Koloa people. Um, <laughs> the other time is when uh, our Eitu went to 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 visit his father Tangaloa Eitu Matupua, and when they first greeted each other, Tangaloa Eitu Matupua said she ought to offer. And and so that that was a, a sort of a later time, but but you can see that 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 greeting was also used. And what's interesting is because our oral tradition still preserve this sort of greeting, uh, right, and so right. the, the the words are still. So when you tell the story of Maui Atalanga, you know, uh, saying Siotofa to to the woman, um, you can see that it's there. And then you know after that, the woman basically asked him if he can push up the sky. He pushed up the sky. But that's what he said. And then with Tangaloa, that's what the, uh, Tangaloa said to his son, um, Aoeitu. And then another tradition where we, I saw the Oto'opa was also in the, the tradition of Fevanga and Fefafa. So in Fevanga and Fefafa, these are the, the couple that live in Eweki and the, in, in, and the stories that the king came by and um, wanted to, 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 to look for food, but then you have any food. So, you know, they ended up... Um, you know, baking their own daughter Kava in the Umu. <laughs> but they said the other offer to each other in that tradition too. Yeah. Mm. Fevanga actually said the other offer. So so we have a lot of tradition that have this. So the the record is there. And in, even if you go back to our original dictionary, so the first Tongan dictionary was done in eighteen forty five by, by Reverend Stephen uh Rabone and he has it there see the offer. Uh, and it's defined as a Tongan salutation. And, and later on, Baker had a dictionary in 1897 and office there. But after that, it no longer, it did not appear in the, you know, the, the dictionary in 1950 by Churchwood. So some, somehow the, the words sort of kind of, uh, fell out of Change, use after yeah. that. But, but, but before then, it was, that was the greeting for, for, for Tongans. Do you have any insights as to when and why that changed to what we have today? I have no insight. I don't know why that uh, changed or what was the reasoning behind behind that. Um, because you know, even Maloy Lele, I, I'm not. I don't even see anyone using Maloy Lele in our old tradition. So I think that might have come. You know that. Maybe just an invention that, that somebody uh, used later. I do know that the the word malo, you know, like people will see this, say this to each other, malo etaulaba, malo. So that that seems to be an older tradition, but um, that you know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what happened there, why that changed. Yeah, that's very interesting. Do you feel one particular way or another uh, to the usage of si otoofa or malo lele? And are, uh, what's, what camp are you on? Because I notice there's people in the Tongan community that want to bring the Oto'ofa back. Yeah, yeah. I use both, um, you know, because I understand that language change and, and people use it. But I I, I really like using the Oto'ofa, especially when I'm, uh, you know, talking to people that are close friends of mine. So, uh, Augustino, Hufanga Augustino Mahina and I, we email, and there's a, a group of uh, scholars that email each other, and our emails as always starts with the other offer. Mm. Um, sort of, sort of, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're close and, and, and that yeah. seems to be a much more affectionate and warmer way of saying the other offer. And I just love that offer is in there because, you know, offer and all the other 
you know, uh, Moana or Polynesian words that are associated. You know, the the idea is that Ofa is more about, you know, um, sharing, um, because uh, from from Augustino Mahina's work, which I agree, he he thinks that the term actually emerged when we were sailing in our long distance voyages, and when we had to share our 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 scarce resources with with one another. That's that was Ofa, you know, just that sort of kind of sharing and caring for one another. Uh, that was often, that's where the sort of the term emerged from. And mm. so, you know, all, almost all of our, of our, you know, our cousins, um, still use the term, um, today. Um, okay. So let's talk about the Hongi because yeah. in, um, in previous episodes and in our reading of the book, we read that, um, you know, when, uh, Mariner was presented to, Finao Ulukalala II, uh, kind of like his court, um, he was greeted with Ahomi. And then we read also in that same legend that you mentioned of Aho Eitu, mm-hmm. and when he went to the heavens to look for his father, um, in addition to being greeted with the Oto'ofa, he was also greeted with Ahomi. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we have evidence that uh, Tongans uh, used to Hongi, and we don't anymore. So do you yeah. have any information on that that you can share with us? Well, we still do it. It's just that we uh we <laughs> do it on the cheek. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, 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 and so we we have a reformed version of the Hongi, but you can still see that when you know when Tong and see each other yeah. well, you know after a long time we you know we call it Feiloki now, but I, uh traditionally the the Hongi our term for Hongi was Fekita. Mm. Um, so that was our sort of word. Maybe we had a, a word that was similar to Hongi, but the tradition that I've seen, that seemed to be the word that used in our oral tradition. So when, Fekita. Um, Fekita, yeah. Uh, which is when, um, our eight went up to, 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 uh, meet his father, Tangaloa. That was what the, the tradition said. It was Fekita, which, was basically pressing uh, noses. Pressing noses, yes. Of, yeah, mm-hmm. as a uh-huh. form of greeting. Um, there are some scholars who think that this all, that during the time when, you know, there were some challenges that were happening in Tonga or or during the time when there were other diseases that were spreading that the missionaries sort of discouraged. And I also know from the missionaries' journals that many of them were were sort of ha- uncomfortable with with the whole idea of of Hongi because mm-hmm. I, I I read some of their journals that, uh, where they said oh no I have to go and press noses with the native and I don't want to so I I know that that it was the influence of the missionaries that sort of kind of said we we shouldn't do this and and that's why we 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 are now using a sort of a version of it which yeah. Is the, the Beiloki and the cheek. The sniffing of the cheek, which makes mm-hmm. so much sense now why, you know, you Beiloki with somebody and you exactly. get like a, a deep whiff on the side of your face. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's our modified version of the Hongi or Fekita. Yes, or Fekita. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the modified version of, of it. Um, but, you know, there are, are people who are reviving this, you know, uh, the Maori, uh, they kept it for you know all these years, and, and they did the the hongi. And here in Hawaii, it's it's, it's becoming much more common. Uh, the Hawaiians are, are uh, reviving it, uh, you know, and they call it honi. 
honi here in Hawaii. Um, there are other traditions where the honi was not nose to nose, but touching sides of the nose, and and mm-hmm. and some Hawaiians believe that that was also practiced here. But still, the the nose was was important in in that particular form of of greeting. Yeah. Do you have any idea why why the nose? Well, um, there I I think that part of it was this sort of kind of uh, uh, the scent of one another was important, and and the scent for us in in the Moana or Moana Nui was always important for us to have to sort of kind of take that smell in of the other person because we have a lot of songs that talks about mm-hmm. the smell of the flower and the smell of um, you know different materials including ngatu you know the word for ngatu which is comes from ngatu which is the smell of the tapa i think for us that was important part of sort of identifying a person and knowing a person by knowing them through their their scent mm. um that that was important now there is other people who says you know it was part of like sharing the ha you know that i i'm not sure about that that might be more of a you know New age, right? Uh, <laughs> New age, way yeah. of, of 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 that. Yeah. I, I I don't know quite. Yeah, but I know for sure that you know, smelling and 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 sort of kind of getting the scent of of other people was was very important for us mm. because we have lots of songs about it. Yeah, and that would I think would be one because I think you would you do identify a person and you sort of kind of know them through their 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 scent um in 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 you know in our moana tradition yeah that is so fascinating i i that's this is the first time i've heard that so i am learning something new and this kind of makes sense because you know in the book mariner talks about how he was just amazed at how tongans were so fond of bathing mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. talked about how some of them bathe three four times a day exactly so um, and we had, you know, all different kinds of oil that we had that we use in Tonga. And we, we were so, you know, we, uh, you know, kakala, we were almost sort of obsessed with the kakala because yeah, we, yeah. we the, 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 the flowers, right? Yeah. Um, that was, that was so important in, in our, in our culture to identify them and to know them and even to rank them, right? Right. Um, so, so, so a person's scent or, or just, that is was was always important for for our culture. Well, I think um, is there anything else you want to add that we haven't uh, mentioned? Before? I just want to say that you know uh, we Atongans have such a very complicated um, pronouns. Uh, so sioto is my. Right, that's sort of the the way that you say my, but it's it's a yeah. particular sort of of saying it. So you can say hoku, which is more ordinary, but once you add the word si to it, it's a more emotional way of of saying it. So si uh, oto or si oku, uh, these are more emotional sort of a way with emotion. So we yeah. we yeah, it's not only poetic, yes, very much, very much poetic, but it adds feelings to it. So mm-hmm. our, 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 our pronouns has this way of like making distinction between just regular, ordinary way of saying things that this is my, mm-hmm. uh, hoku versus si oku or, uh, si, si oto. oto. Yeah, exactly. And it, and, and 
if this is one of the most difficult part of learning Tongan, because when you learn Tongans, you you see that Tongans have many many levels of pronouns that they use um, in the way that they um, you know yeah classify Which... things. You know, when do you use hoku and eku and and so forth? Yeah, um, those it's harder for people to to understand be, just because of our very complex way of using pronouns. Yeah, which makes the uh, the case an uh, even stronger case for us to bring it back and the usage of it. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. the thing I really love about it, especially now that you mentioned that, is that you you are acknowledging the entire presence of whoever it is that you are greeting. So it's mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. that you know I see you there, but you it. To me, it feels like there's more of a spiritual depth to it. Yeah. Um, so you're acknowledging them physically, but also spiritually, emotionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I think that's so beautiful. Our our indigenous ways are very beautiful. Yes. And you know that that sort of knowledge is carried in our language, and and that's part of of, of why it's important to revive our language and and try to to learn as much as we can about our language because that's sort of a whole different, you know, view of the world or, or a different cosmology of the world where we see the world in, in, in ways that, that you, you may not see it in, in sort of in the English tradition. Uh, and I think all languages have their own particular way of, of uh, allowing us to see the world in, in, in that, in that culture. And Tongan is, is, is that way. I mean, you know, we could have say, you know, Kohoku Ofa, but, you know, Si Oto Ofa or has these very emotional, spiritual dimension to it. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think this is a, a very enlightening call and I've learned uh, certainly a lot of new things tonight. So hopefully, um, well, not hopefully, I know our audience will too. So thank you so much. Atevita for um, contributing to this little <laughs> podcast. Well, thank um, you, Lisate. I'm a big fan. I listen to all your uh, podcasts, and uh, thank you for educating our, our our youth and just sharing that knowledge and using this uh, platform or this uh, medium to to you know to to share our our history, our culture. Um, I think it's it's. This is the right time to to do it, and um, I will continue to listen. And uh, if you invite me back later at some point, I'd be happy to come back and make a contribution. I, I was just going to say, there, there's no if about it. I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I would love to have you back. So thank you so much, and just thank you for making yourself available with you know all that knowledge and and I know you're busy with uh, your work, but you made the time for our audience. So thank you so much. Malo. Okay, the next question we have. Uh, Richard, what is the song you play in the opening of your podcast and how come it sounds Samoan? Okay, very good question. Um, th- so the track that I play at the beginning of the podcast is uh, the Me'etupaki. And um, it's a chant to a dance that is one of the dances that have survived over time. And it goes back to the Tuitonga days. And probably I would even say it precedes the Tuitonga days because, yes, you are right um, in that it sounds Samoan because there's a lot of words in it that are 
uh, could be Tongan or could be Samoan. It could be old Tongan, but it also could be a reflection of um, the Tuimanua time when Tuimanua had a strong presence in Tonga. The Metupaki itself is an actual prayer. This is what I understand from um, from Professor Futahelu, uh, the late Futahelu, who um, he came through Salt Lake City back in, oh gosh, the early 2000s, I believe. And um, I got to spend time hanging out with um, Professor Futahelu, his children who came with him. They were all a part of AFPA, which was the Atenisi uh, performing, wait, AFPA. At the Nisi Foundation for Performing Arts, and um, I learned a lot about just the um, the old Tongan dances, such as the Metupaki, um, the Otuhaka, and even a dance we don't do anymore, the Meelaufola, uh, from um, f- from Futahelu. And from what I understand, this was an ancient prayer. This was a prayer that um, navigators would say before um, they would embark on a voyage. And in this chant are the names of the old Tongan gods. And so they would say this uh, prayer, this chant, uh, and invoke the name of the old Tongan gods. So um, there's the gods of the winds, there's the gods of the seas. Um, Basically, it's a prayer for them to have favorable conditions for voyaging. The other theory is that the Me'etu Upaki was a dance that originated in uh, Uvea. Um, and then it was uh, back in the time of the Tutonga. So Uvea, there was a lot of territories in the Pacific that were under the empire of the Tutonga, or they paid tribute to the Tutonga. Um, Uvea and Futuna being one of them. And the theory is that the, this dance originated from that area in honor of the Tutonga. And so that's why it sounds a little bit different. Either way, um, the the lyrics and the, the words of the chant invokes the names of uh, different gods in the Tongan, uh, I would probably even say Western Pacific pantheon of gods. Um, and, you know, in the gods, there are the principal gods. Um, that's like Tangaloa, Maui, uh, Hikuleo, but then there are also the lesser gods. And in this chant, you hear the names of like Golulu and Latu uh, being invoked in the chant along with some other ones. Hopefully that answers your question. Okay, the next question is about attire. Richard, what kind of attire did uh, Tongans wear at the time of Mariner and before the arrival of Europeans? Okay, very good question. Um, let's talk about attire. And I think uh, this applies to the rest of uh, the Polynesian um, island nations around that time. Uh, the general attire for Tongans back in the time of Mariner was uh, what we call fetaaki. And fetaaki is just uh, tapa or ngatu without the decorations, without the, the dyes and the artwork that's put on it that we uh, normally see today. Fetaaki is actually really beautiful. Um, if you were to look at it in its natural state before they start to decorate and apply designs to it, it's a very uh, nice off-white cream color. 
And for those of you who don't know, um, the ngatu or tapa is bark cloth. It's made from the bark of the paper mulberry tree. And this is one of those um, plants that was brought to the Pacific from Southeast Asia by our uh, voyaging, our navigating ancestors, um, our DNA and also just some other studies. Well, this is the prevailing theory is that Polynesians come from uh, Southeast Asia, from Taiwan specifically, and then they dispersed from there um, and came through Indonesia into Vanuatu, Tonga, Samoa, and eventually settled the Pacific. Now, there were other types of fineries um, worn by the chiefly class. And so those are usually, um, if you've seen like the really intricate intricately weaved fine mats from Samoa okay it's so fine that it almost feels like cloth um, those were the type of um, fineries that you know chiefly women had in their possession uh, chiefly women in Tonga also wore um, these combs or you know what we call helu uh, but these were combs that were made out of the tuaniu or coconut rib um, and decorated with shells and things like that um, I've seen pictures of combs that were created from doa or other types of wood, but these were beautiful combs that were used as, you know, headpieces or, or just a head ornament. I was fortunate in 2017 to actually um, see what these combs look like. Uh, I was in New Zealand uh, with my cousin, my colleague, Anapesi Kaili, and uh, we were fortunate enough to have a tour of uh, the Pacific Collection in the Auckland Museum with our dear friend Kolokesa Mahina. And so we were able to look at some of the combs they had in their collection and um, just uh, to see how beautiful they were and the craftsmanship that went into making them. And then, of course, you know, there's different types of attire or regalia that you would wear for um, Tongan funerals and things like that. And so we... I haven't seen it in the book yet. That's not to say that it's not coming up, but uh, when it does, we will revisit this question again. Okay, here's our next question. In the last episode, you talked about Tongans being collaborative and coming together to get huge tasks done. Where did you find these Tongans and do they actually exist? Okay, thank you for this question. And actually, this is a, a funny, <laughs> funny, hilarious question because we all, I'm pretty sure, have encountered that same kind of feeling at one point or the other in our lives. But what I'm referring to um, and specifically looking at this one incident in the book in the last uh, episode where 400 men came together to work like a almost like a machine in the way that Mariner describes it. They all just um, did their part to dismantle this huge ship, you know, to extract all the iron from it. And so um, and Mariner was just um, so fascinated by how quickly they were able to get this done without any complaints. Uh, they did it quietly with uh, no kind of complaints. And I, to me, I feel like this is one of the hallmarks of our uh, Tongan culture, especially when you are thinking about Tongans as a collective. So really what Mariner was witnessing was um, the social organization of Tongan society coming together to get this specific task done. And that's what I'm referring to 
in the last episode. When you have these kind of um, enormous tasks, um, and especially tasks that have uh, a lot of social value, like if you are expecting a um, a royal or a chief, you know, back in those days, if there was a funeral and there are protocols to be performed, um, there are people in Tongan society who already have those roles and everybody knows. And so there is rarely dissension. So let's use Tauhitu'i um, for an example. And so when we know in a Tongan community that a member of the royal family or a high-ranking chief is coming to visit, okay? So let's say I'm here in Salt Lake City and um, it's our winter season and let's say one of the royals is coming here because they want to go snowboarding, okay? So we all know about it. Um, there are chiefs here that are already in place, um, what we call Hoeki or Matapule, and they come from these clans who have um, served these royal lines forever okay going back to the very first tuitonga and so if the word comes to us that a member of the royal family is here every every person here in the tong community knows how to mobilize and how to make themselves useful so that we can accomplish the task of welcoming and taking care of this member of the royal family and so that's something I feel it's very ingrained in our DNA. And this really goes back to the days of the Tuitonga, because that was a time when people were, you know, serving in these roles. And um, and I just feel like it's been uh, been passed down through the generations to today. And it's very impressive to me. Uh, I've you know, I'm very Americanized. I will tell you that right now. But I have seen people in our community come together uh, when it comes to these kind of things and I'm so happy to just be a part of it it makes you feel like you are a part of you know the collective and I totally understand what Mariner was seeing and that's what I was referring to in the last episode The last question comes actually uh, several readers sent uh, the same type of question in. And here we go. Uh, Richard, does Mariner's book mention anything about Fraleti in Tonga? And if so, were they accepted as members of society? Okay, so uh, a quick answer is no. And I also uh, did some research on this and found that a lot of other narratives from Europeans who were living in Tonga at the time also lack this um, information in their records. There just isn't any um, mentions or anything about uh, Fraleti uh, population or any other kind of like gender identity. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of scholarship on this. Um, I did some research and found a uh, paper written by Carrie E. James from the University of Hawaii in Manoa. And the paper is called Effeminate Males and Changes in the Construction of Gender in Tonga. And he pretty much confirms this as well, that there isn't a lot of documentation uh, based on the observations of, of uh, Mariner and also other Europeans. However, there's a lot of evidence that... Um, 
this was pretty common in eastern Polynesia. So like in Tahiti, in Hawaii, there are records of uh, mahu and also uh, in Hawaii what they call aikane. And these were men. So these were warriors who had partners who were also men. But they were also married and they had wives and they also had children. What's interesting, you know, in Tonga, in our um, mythologies, um, in our legends, we have uh, this deity named Hikuleo, who is one of the principal gods. And so there's a lot of uh, discussions about whether Hikuleo was male or female or intersex or even transgender. And so, um, you know, ancient Tongans already had these concepts of uh, gender variation and uh, we just don't see that anymore. There's also a belief that Hikuleo is actually female and that uh, with the arrival of Christianity and the influence of Christianity, they try to change the identity of um, Hikuleo to a male to coincide with this new kind of patriarchy that Christianity introduced to uh, Tongan culture. So I want to go back to the concept of uh, Aikane, like uh, in Hawaii that was mentioned earlier. And maybe this is where we are missing this uh, very important detail because we are thinking so um, narrowly when we are trying to define a uh, gender or sexual identity. In our Tongan culture, anything that is outside of the binary of male-female relationship is considered, or we call it fale di, or in the manner of a woman or a lady. And so this is the umbrella term that we apply to all members of the LGBTI community, fale di, which is so limited and so narrow in in the way that it tries to define all of that. And so I think if we are to follow this very narrow definition, we definitely miss out. Uh, you know, we have these blinders on, but then we miss out on the variety of gender expressions and sexual identity that is present in our community. And I'm wondering if this is the same thing that happened back then, is that uh, those people who were observing, um, you know, so these are foreigners, but are completely... Uh, unaware of how we fail he or how we interact with each other in a Tongan context. And so in a Tongan context, you know, gainga is like everything. Gainga, your family, your relationships with your family and not just your immediate family, your extended family, the village. Everybody works for the benefit of the gainga. So regardless of what your sexual orientation or your gender expression was at the time, uh, that had to take a backseat to the needs of the gainga. And this goes back to just the other question where we talked about the collective. You know, this is collective thinking. And I'm not saying that this is like the best thing ever. I'm just saying that this is the Tongan way of living and Tongan way of thinking. And just on a side note, I think we really need to uh, come up with a term that is more inclusive of other um, gender expressions and also sexual identity. Okay, I'll end that question there because I went off uh, topic there a little. And actually, I could do an entire show on just that alone. But uh, to answer the question, uh, no, uh, Mariner didn't see a lot of that. And uh, this is also the experience of other European explorers. And that's not to say that it didn't happen. We just don't have enough information to uh, really answer that question.
Okay, that is the end of our Q&A episode. I want to give a special thank you to Devita Kaili for sharing his knowledge with us. Thank you so much, and we appreciate it, and we'd love to have you back on the show. Um, I want to thank all of you for supporting and for listening. Uh, share the podcast with your friends. And uh, once again, if you have a question, please email it to me at rwolfgram, R-W-O-L-F-G-R-A-M-M at gmail.com. Or leave me a voicemail on my um, Google Voice number, which is 385-347-0906. Thank you so much. Si Oto Ofa, and uh, we'll catch you later. <laughs>